Hi and welcome to this teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David, I'm the pastor at Foundation Church and we're returning in our series through the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament where Mark is showing us uh, who Jesus is and what he has done and why that is important for us to, uh, to understand. And so we're returning now to the next section uh, in our series and we're going to read together from the Bible from Mark chapter 2 verse 13. So let me read the Bible to you and then um, we'll think about what it means together. Starting at verse 13, he, that is Jesus, went out again beside the lake and all the crowd were coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We're going to see today, uh, as we think about these verses together, who should follow Jesus, the kind of person that should follow Jesus. Um, secondly, then we'll think about why we should follow Jesus. And finally, number three, how we should follow Jesus. So first of all, who should follow Jesus? This section that we've just read together um, is about this guy called Levi. And we can see uh, about him in verses 13 through 15, the first half. Levi um, was, as it describes here, a tax collector. Uh, Jesus, it tells us in verse 13, was, was uh, teaching beside the lake. He was, he was doing his, his mission to teach about the kingdom of God and to demonstrate what it looked like. So he taught the good news of the kingdom, which is the realm of God's blessing, the place of God's favour, the long-awaited kingdom of God coming now. Indeed, it is here in and through Jesus himself. And he shows what the kingdom looks like by uh, his mighty works, by uh, restoring um, the sick back to fullness of life, cleansing lepers, casting out demons. This is what it looks like when God is in control, when his um, blessing extends to all people. Brokenness is mended. The sick are restored. Uh, sins are forgiven. And so this is what Jesus is going around teaching about. And we're introduced here to, to Levi, who we said is a tax collector. Um, being a tax collector even today is not necessarily considered to be a favoured job. Um, if you work in the tax office, thank you for all your hard work. Um, thank you for everything you do. Uh, but, you know, it's always the pantomime villain, isn't it? Villain, isn't it? When someone says they work in the tax office, they, they can expect a few boos uh, from those listening. But anyway, in those days, uh, being a tax collector was a despised job, a despicable job. Uh, because from a Jewish perspective, what a tax collector was doing was taking money from one's own people, from the Jews, and giving it to the Roman authorities, those who were in power at the time. And, and to, the, to the average Jew, it felt like robbery. 
It felt like betrayal, you know, that the, the one of our own is taking our own money and giving it to our Roman enemies. And so uh, tax collectors who worked on behalf of the Roman government, but were one of the people of the Jews, um, had this reputation uh, for being you know, colluders with uh, the enemy state. Uh, but also they, were, they had a reputation for being a bit light fingered, you know, creaming off the top. That's how these type of tax collectors made their money by taxing over and above what they should have done uh, and keeping the profits. Uh, generally, that's how they made their living. And so as such, there are multiple reasons, as you can see, why tax collectors as a group uh, were hated and despised by the general population. <clears throat> and as we see in verse 14, here we have Jesus uh, walking by. And he simply said to Levi, the tax collector, follow me. And he rose, it says, and followed Jesus instantly. Just like that. Jesus gave the call and Levi left his tax collecting business, left the booth and immediately followed Jesus. And then in verse 15, uh, the, the scene switches from uh, you know, beside the lake where the tax collecting business was, was taking place to Levi's house. And it says here in verse 15 that Jesus uh, was reclining at table with his disciples in Levi's house. Uh, what does that mean to recline at table? Um, that was how they ate in those days. If someone was to give a banquet or a feast or, you know, throw a party, uh, they wouldn't sit up like we would do these days in a chair at the table to eat our food. Um, in those days, it was a much more prolonged affair and the, the table would be very low lying, maybe just a foot or two off the ground. Uh, and so those who were participating in the meal or the feast were actually reclining. They were lying on the floor, probably on cushions uh, with, with one arm uh, on or near the table to eat with and the feet extended away from the table towards the the wall of, of the building that they were in. And so that's why Jesus here was reclining uh, and, and it relaxing, you know, uh, enjoying the food. And it, it took a, a while. It wasn't just a quick come in and, and, and fill yourself and then go again. Um, this would have taken hours and hours, probably even close to a whole day. So there he was re reclining um, in Levi's house, but it says he was reclining with tax collectors and sinners. See, Levi was connected. He was connected to a little uh, sub-community of people just like him. And so uh, it seems to be that Levi invited all of his friends and contacts in to come and meet this guy called Jesus. And so there we have Jesus uh, enjoying food uh, with these new people. Uh, and they obviously enjoyed his company too. They were at ease with Jesus. Um, and so this bunch of despised tax collectors, but also um, sinners, this group of people called sinners, uh, who are the sinners in this story. Um, well, it was a general term to describe, quote, one who deviates from the path of virtue. That's what a sinner was. The text doesn't exactly qualify uh, the kind of person here uh, that we're talking about. But in general terms, it was understood in those days as a subclass of morally suspicious individuals. A um, whole bunch of people would have been classed as sinners. Likely there was a combination of various criminals, 
unsavory types, perhaps even prostitutes, troublemakers, players, those who made their money in dubious ways. But added to that were often those who were in poverty, the poor, uh, workers, anyone who couldn't keep up with the various religious rules uh, therefore, they, they broke religious rules simply because they just didn't have the time or, or uh, the inclination to live up to the various religious rules. These were all termed in contemporary religion as sinners. And there they are, all with Jesus, all enjoying his company, eating with him, hearing him talk, hearing him teach, enjoying his, his laughter. And probably they were sat there amazed, astonished that someone like Jesus, a religious teacher who was increasingly famous, would hang out with people like them. Astonishing. Not at all what they were expecting. And here we have Jesus enjoying food with him. I love what it says in verse 15. It said um, there were many tax collectors and sinners uh, with Jesus that day, for there were many who followed him just seemed to be that tax collectors and sinners connected with Jesus very easily. They enjoyed him. They, they wanted to hear more from him. He was attractive to them. And so we see that many of them came to follow Jesus. But we also see a second group um, of people here. We've got Levi and the tax collectors and sinners, the first group. But there's a second group here um, who we'll call the religious people. Um, we see them in verses 16 and 17 and, and Mark describes them here as the scribes of the Pharisees. We met a bunch of people last week called scribes and we found out that they were the scholars of religious laws, um, most likely the sort of the theologians and perhaps even the teachers of religious law. But these particular ones here belonged to a, a religious sect called the Pharisees within Judaism. And um, Pharisees in general uh, had a very high focus on ceremonial cleanliness, on moral purity, we would say today, um, good living. Uh, they paid a, a close attention to what they ate, um, who they mixed with, where they went, being careful, precisely careful not to contaminate themselves in any way. The, Pharisees in general were looked up to uh, by the ordinary people in society. Um, often they were seen as the definition of what it looked like to be righteous. Look at the Pharisees. That's how you can tell these people are very serious about their religion. This is what it looks like to live a life pleasing to God. That's how the general um, population would have thought of Pharisees. Very highly regarded. But it seems to be here in verse 16 that those who were present or aware of what was going on in Levi's house, they took offence at Jesus' behaviour. Um, it says in verse 16, these Pharisees, or the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw what Jesus was up to, mixing with those kind of people, um, they said to, to him and to his followers, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? What's he, what's he doing mixing with that class of people, in other words? Does he not realise that in so doing he's going to make himself uh, morally compromised, that he's going to get dirty somehow by hanging out with these people? What is he thinking? 
let alone eating with them, is kind of like affirming their lifestyle, Jesus. What were you doing? See, Jesus made the religious people feel very uncomfortable indeed. So there we have two groups of people who, in one sense, were attracted to Jesus. On the one hand, we had the sinners, this general group of people, including tax collectors, including Levi himself, who knew that they were, in one sense, unclean, uh, in religious terms at the very least. They knew that they were despised by society, especially by religious types. They knew that they were a part of a class of people just simply to be avoided by everybody else. They knew that if there was a God, they most likely were not in his good books. They most likely have lived a life that have has offended God. They hadn't lived up to his requirements. That's what they knew. And yet this group of people, this group called sinners, they knew that Jesus knew about them. He knew their background. He knew their lifestyle. He knew what they had done. And yet they also knew that Jesus loved them, that he would eat with them, that he was not put off by their past or by their group or by their backgrounds. They loved him. They, they were attracted to him. They wanted to be with Jesus because he accepted them. On the other hand, then the second group, the religious types, who prided themselves, as we've been seeing, they prided themselves on being clean in contrast, uh, being separate from those kind of people, perhaps even prided themselves on being better than those people. We are not like those despicable people. Um, we're not like those sinners, they would have thought to themselves. Um, we have made good decisions about how to live our lives, unlike those people. They have made bad decisions. Uh, we have managed to live a respectful, moral life, unlike those sinners. That's how the religious people would have thought. We have been living clean lives. See, for them, for the scribes of the Pharisees and the religious people in general, Jesus was not attractive. He's not someone you wanted to be with. Jesus was a handful. Uh, Jesus was, was threatening. He, he challenged their own understanding of what it meant to be right in the eyes of God. Uh, Jesus, they thought, was, was disrupting their carefully constructed religious framework. And they found, found themselves threatened by him. So, who should follow Jesus? Well, everybody, I think everybody should follow Jesus. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm teaching. Um, that's why we are who we are at Foundation Church. We believe that everyone should follow Jesus. But Jesus answers the question with a proverb. Who should follow Jesus? Well, he says in verse 17, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That stands to reason, right? You don't go to the doctor when you're feeling great. You go to the doctor when you've got a problem. You go to the doctor or the hospital when you're sick, when you need help, when you need medicine, you need some sort of support. Everybody gets that, right? And then Jesus follows up and explains what he meant. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. I came not to call the religious people, the people who know that they're already sorted because they've been living a good life. I, I haven't come to call them. 
They, they are self-sufficient. They're good on their own. They feel like they're good on their own. I've come to call those who are messed up, who need help, the sick who need the doctor. I've come to be the physician for them. Out of those two groups, the sinners, the tax collectors, those who are messed up, they know that they are beyond uh, their own power to help themselves. Uh, they know that they need Jesus. They know that he's the, the only one who can do anything for them. The religious people you see are fine on their own, fine with their good moral living and their religious laws. So as we close out this first part, let me ask you, who do you identify with most in this story? The sinners and tax collectors, that group, or the religious types, the righteous ones? Do you identify with those who knew they were sick or those who thought they were well? I, I, do you feel like you're more like a sinner, um, as Mark would describe it here? The irreligious, you know, the misfits, the outcasts, the ones who have messed up, the ones who've lived a dubious life or maybe have guilt or regret or shame about the way the past has been for them? Or are you more like the religious? Those who think that they are right before God because they're just good people. They're just nice. They've done the right things. They've given to charity. They've been brought up the right way. They've made the right decisions. Who do you most naturally follow? Well, we've started to think about who should follow Jesus, the kind of person that would find Jesus appealing. Uh, but now we're going to think more broadly, then why should we follow Jesus? What's our motivation uh, for following Jesus? Well, let's, let's, let's take the focus and put it onto the central character in this story, which, of course, is Jesus. Um, let's examine his behaviour, uh, his reaction to these two groups that we've been thinking about, the sinners on the one hand and the righteous, the religious ones on the other hand. Um, because Jesus isn't just a good dinner party guest. He is that. Um, he's more than just a nice guy uh, with some inspiring stories and some stirring teaching. We, we, we've seen over the last few weeks that Jesus is somebody who taught with authority, uh, not like the scribes. Um, that's what his hearers said. This is someone who is teaching, uh, is a, whose teaching is astonishing. He teaches with authority. <clears throat> And uh, he, t he is introduced, as we've seen by Mark, as the long-awaited Messiah, the servant of the Lord, the Son of God, no less. And yet here he is, here is Jesus portrayed uh, with the tax collectors and the sinners, the Son of God with these people. And, and it's more than just tolerating them, he is accepting them uh, for who they are. He's not put off by their backgrounds, um, their life choices. In fact, he comes to offer life, to come and offer forgiveness, not, not, not merely affirming them in their sin and saying, well, you're just trying hard, you're a good person. But he is coming to give them life, to free them from their sin. He is unlike everybody else at this dinner party at Levi's house. And yet he was so likeable. Um, he, he was with the people, uh, yet he was of a different order altogether. That's Jesus. 
And here we see in this particular place in the Bible, Jesus comes among sinners and he loves them. He was numbered among the sinners. He identified with them and he loves them. And this, this story, this glorious little snapshot, one day in the life of Jesus is a picture of the great storyline of the Bible, the great message of the Bible. We can see in this passage how it represents and points what Jesus has done for everyone in a grand scheme. He came to the sinners. He came and lived among sinful, broken, fallen people. He came and lived with the dropouts, the losers, the people who have messed up, the broken people, the misfits, the foolish. There was rich and poor that Jesus lived with, uh, the leper and the widow, the outcasts of society. And to all these people and to you and I, Jesus came and demonstrated his love for them. That's what he did. Not ultimately to come and throw a great dinner party, but he showed his love ultimately for his people by taking the cross upon himself. He showed his love by carrying this, this wooden cross up the hill where they nailed him onto that cross and he was crucified and he died as a sinner. He wasn't a sinner, but he was treated as a sinner by the religious authorities. He was treated as a dangerous subversive revolutionary by the Roman authorities and he was treated by God the Father as a sinner. The Apostle Paul writes later in the Bible that Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us. That's what he did. That's how he opened the kingdom of God to us. He identified with sinners. Um, he was numbered among the sinners. He, he, he took up his cross for them. That's what he did. He stepped into their shoes. He took their sin upon himself. He was sinless, but yet he was treated as sinful. He gave himself in their place because he loved them. That's why Jesus is often referred to as the friend of sinners. Just look at what he did. So why should you follow Jesus? Well, because he took up his cross for you. In fact, he took up your cross. See, when you start to feel the implications of, of what we're talking about here, of what Jesus said in verse 17, that it's not, the, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners and those who know it. When you start to understand the implications of that, then you will start to see the good news. You'll start to grasp it. If you realise that Jesus did that for you, then you'll start to understand why you would want to follow someone who did that for you. 
those who know that they can't make themselves right by living good lives and saying the right thing and following the right religious laws. They cling to Jesus. They say, you have made me right. It is because of you and what you did for me that I am right. I am considered righteous in the sight of God. That's why you should follow him. And so when that happens to you, you'll start to understand what this, and when you start to understand what this means, it means that as a sinner, you grasp what Jesus has done for you. When you do that, it will set you free. When you embrace Christ's love by faith, um, you will no longer be identified by God as sinful, whatever that looks like for you. When you embrace Christ by faith, instead, before God, you are no longer seen as a sinner. Instead, you are seen as perfectly clean, morally perfect, righteous and beautiful in the eyes of God because of Jesus, that he was willing to come and live among us and give his life for us so that we might be forgiven and made right in the sight of God. That's what happens when you trust in Jesus. That's why you should follow him. When you receive the work of Christ by faith, his work is applied to you and you are utterly delightful in the eyes of God. That's what happens. No longer a sinner, but you're set free forgiven. New life is yours. That's what happens. See, when you understand what Jesus did for you, it will melt your heart. God is, is no longer your enemy. He's no longer an enemy to you. He becomes your heavenly father. The same father that Jesus has is yours. You become adopted as a son or a daughter when you trust Christ by faith. That's what happens. You'll become defined by that relationship, son or daughter, not by your reputation or, or your past or the sins that you've done or the sins that have been done to you. You won't be defined by that. When you come to Jesus by faith, you'll be set free. Your guilt is taken away. Your sins past, present and future are forgiven. That's why we should follow Jesus. Because he identified with sinners like us. He took up their cross and went in their place. So thirdly and finally, we'll ask ourselves, how then should we follow Jesus? We can see the turnaround in Levi's life in these few verses, right? Even just a small glimpse of what it looked like to follow Jesus. Um, he, he immediately followed Jesus when he heard the call on his life. And he went and gathered his friends and colleagues and contacts to come and <clears throat> meet with Jesus themselves. He, he would have said to them, come and celebrate me, celebrate what this new relationship, this, this new friend who loves me, and has given himself for me. Come and come and meet him yourself. You see, when you when you discover the beauty of who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it will change your life around completely. 
in the same way that it did for Levi. How exactly does this happen? Well, later on in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8, Jesus spoke directly to this question, how should we follow Jesus? In fact, he said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, if anyone would come after me, that is anyone who follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He's saying, I took up my cross for you. Now, if you would come after me, you've got to emulate what I've done. You, would, you must take up your cross and come after me. Come follow me. Come and live for me. So firstly, let's look at what he says there. He says, deny himself. If you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. What does this mean? Uh, it doesn't mean to say, by the way, that, that uh, denying yourself means sort of denying that you exist, that you have to somehow go off the grids and, oh, I, I, I'm not here. No, denying yourself means to admit to yourself that you are not top of your agenda. Jesus's. Deny your claim to be number one. That's what it means to deny yourself. Um, start, in other words, start by uh, refusing to live for yourself only and start instead living your life for Jesus because of his great love for you. That's what it means to deny yourself. You might have lots of good things in your life already. Um, relationships, family, friends, career, leisure, recreation. All these things are good. You know, the gifts from God. Um, and, and Jesus is not necessarily saying, you know, you've got to give all this up. You've got to renounce all of those things and become a monk out in the desert somewhere. That might be required. That might be something you want to do. Uh, but denying ourselves is more than that. Denying ourselves is about giving Jesus the full authority in and over all of our lives, every area, giving it over to him. We're saying, no, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. We're giving ourselves to you. We're living life in thanks and praise because of you, Jesus, not for my own ends, not for my own glory, but for yours. That's what it means to deny ourselves. And then secondly, Jesus says to take up our cross. That's the second way that we follow him. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross. Number two, that means giving yourself up and laying your life down for other people. Just like Jesus laid his life down for you. Um, because Jesus took up the cross for you, you are therefore freed to give up your freedoms in order to serve other people, to, to take up your cross in love and service for other people. And cross suggests that this will be a sacrifice. This will cost you something. But this is, this is let's not make any mistakes here. This is a revolutionary concept that Jesus suggests here. It is so countercultural. Uh, because we live in a world... Uh, that shouts very loudly at us in a million different ways every day through the media that we consume. It's in the air that we breathe. We are told to look after number one, right? To value our own freedom, uh, whatever you want, you can have it, go get it. Um, 
no matter what the cost, because you're worth it. That's what we're hearing. That's what we are fed. Um, our own personal happiness is the most important thing in the world. You be you, and as long as you're happy, that's the most important thing. But what Jesus teaches is radically different. He teaches us to put ourselves last of all. That is so countercultural. Last of all, put me first, he says. Put other people in your life second and ourselves last. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Just think of the implications of that kind of living for a second. If we, if we get what Jesus has done for us, if we deny ourselves and take up our cross, imagine, for instance, the implications that I could have in our relationships. Let's think of the marriage relationship if you're, if you're married. Imagine the implications of denying yourself, taking up your cross to serve and love other people because of what Jesus has done for you in your marriage. Whereby you don't live for personal gain. You don't consider your marriage primarily to make you happy and fulfilled. You will have those things. There is no doubt about that. But primarily in your marriage, once you understand the gospel of Jesus and what he's done, you won't primarily live married lives for personal gain and what our partner can give for us. Instead, you will serve your marriage partner, your spouse. You will give yourself to him or her in love. You will serve them. You will put their needs ahead of your own. You will give yourself up for them because that is how Jesus treated you. Imagine another aspect of life, how we are to treat people who are different from us in lots of different ways. Those kind of people, different people, whoever they may be, whatever that difference happens to be. It's difficult to love people who are less like ourselves, right? That's a, unfortunately a human fact. That's something that we struggle with in any culture, in any society. But imagine, once we understand the gospel, deny ourselves, take up our cross, follow Jesus because of what he's done for us, rather than looking at people who are different from us with arrogance or judgmentalism, when we take up our cross, that means we are free to serve other people. It means we're free to help. It means we're free to love without expecting anything in return. It means that we are hungry to invite all of the people in our social circles and networks and neighborhoods, all those we come into contact with. We are free to invite them to come and know Jesus, just like Levi invited his friends. Come and see this man who has changed my life. You can know him. Maybe he can change your life too. You'll be a great neighbour, by the way, if you live like that. You'll be a great co-worker if you live like that. Putting others first, serving others, not looking for the glory for yourself. Preferring others above yourself. Giving yourself to other people, serving at a cost to you. Whether it's in marriage, in our social circles, serving the poor, serving the vulnerable. The, the implications are endless when we understand what Jesus has done for us. So I think as we close out this last video, 
what would your life look like if you were to start following Jesus? If you understand what he's done for you, how he's come to serve you and how he served you through giving up his life. How will that change your life, your relationships, your career goals, your aspirations? What, what, is it, what it is that you value most in life? How will that change the way you view that? How will that change the tools that God has given you, the resources, the skills, the giftings? Once you understand that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross in order to follow Jesus. Allow me to pray at the end. I would love you to join me in prayer. If you want to just listen to the words of this prayer, um, you can say, and if you agree with them and you want to sort of receive them as your own, you can say Amen at the end if you want, either silently or out loud, depending on who's listening with you. But let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you for showing us how Jesus loves all kinds of people. We thank you, Jesus, for taking up the cross. And you did that for sinners and for religious people and for all types of people. Help us to realise our need for you, Jesus. And please would you give us boldness and faith to follow after you, to receive the benefits of everything you've done for us. We thank you that your work on our behalf forgives our sin and restores our relationship with God. And for those of us who are already following Jesus, help us, Holy Spirit, to live more consistently with that calling you've given us. Help us to become more like Jesus as we serve others in preference to ourselves so that you get the glory and that others come to know you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.